Welcome to Dismantling the High Performance Narrative, a podcast that challenges what it means to be a high performer. Here are your hosts, Lauren Williams and Rob Kalvaroski. Welcome to Dismantling the High Performance Narrative. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. On this week's episode, Malcolm Lemons joins the show to talk about mental health in the athletic community, building a brand as an athlete, and what we can do about mental health in our locker rooms. Now, I wanted to talk a little bit about a program that Lauren and I have coming out. It's a program called the Leadership Launchpad Project. It's a 12-week high-impact leadership program. We're going to take you on a journey to becoming the best leader that you can be, and you'll find out how you can make an impact in your specific way through this program. So if that sounds really interesting to you, go to highperformancenarrative.com slash leadership. You can find out more details there, and you can also register for the program. So check that out. And lastly, if you haven't yet, Subscribe to Dismantling the High Performance Narrative on your favorite podcast platform and go to Apple and leave us a rating and review. We'd really love and appreciate that. Thanks for listening. And here's the interview with Malcolm Lemons. We are back. Welcome back to Dismantling the High Performance Narrative. As always, I'm your host, Rob Kalvaroski, and we have our in-house high performance coach, and former Worcester Blades, Lauren Williams. Lauren, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Rob? I'm going in and you can hear my new puppy in the background. I took him running at lunch and and he was sleeping for like the last hour or so. And I think now he has to go to the washroom. So, <laughs> so yes, um, but we have a special guest with us. We have Malcolm, Malcolm Lemons from Athletes Unheard. Malcolm, how are you? I'm doing well, Rob. Pleasure to be here. No, we, we love to have you on. And and maybe before we get into the nuts and bolts about you, can you tell us a little bit about Athletes Unheard? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, kind of the impetus of the platform is to destigmatize mental health and sports. Very, you know, simple mission. I think, you know, going through 2020, um, you know, seeing heightened levels of depression and anxiety within the athlete community. Um, you know, I just felt like there was a major void that needed to be filled when it came to conversations around mental health and wellness and uh, really just wanted it to create this platform, you know, and have an outlet where athletes can come on and talk about mental health candidly, openly, without being drug- judged or critiqued um, and really just become more educated about what mental health is. Uh, and, and so that's really what the platform is about. And, um, you know, I'm just trying to position the platform to be a catalyst for this movement because I think mental health and wellness is going to become increasingly important going forward as we navigate a post-COVID uh, world. So that, that's really what we're trying to do and what we're all about. I love that. Um, and I can't agree with you more just in terms of the, the impact uh, that we've seen in mental health this year alone, especially in athletes because you have to think of them as the individuals who honestly rely on that structure the most, right? We need that structure for training, for, for school, and we get so used to having it and seeing it absolutely ripped away the way that it was this year has really shined a light on probably a gap that hasn't been addressed yet um, that we saw in athletes when they were transitioning out of sport. 
Um, but to see it this year so blatantly, I think has done a lot in terms of showing us what needs to be done in terms of the mental health conversation. Yeah, hundred percent. I think that, you know, a lot of athletes, student athletes, professional athletes were faced with um, emotions and feelings that they've never been through or experienced before. And so I didn't think there were any athlete specific outlets that, you know, allowed them to really share these experiences and, and feel comfortable talking about some of these challenges that they were facing for the first time. And, and I think that you hit it on the head. Um, you know, this is, it's been a very eye-opening experience going through COVID and, and just seeing the amount of um, trials and tribulations that came along with that. So um, I'm excited about the the opportunities uh, that I think are, are to come when it comes to mental health and wellness and really um, empowering more athletes to, to be more open about these conversations. Um, and, and the fact that I think a lot of athletes are going to start to take their mental health and wellness as seriously as they do their physical health and wellness. So. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we, we love that. Like that's, that's right up our alley, I think. And, and I think, you know, you're seeing it, right. You're seeing with COVID and, and like, before we jumped on and hit the record, we were talking about March madness and like right now we're in the midst of, I guess they're the lead eight, but basically last year athletes were getting prepped for March madness and then bang, no March madness anymore. And, you know, like you're, you can take away like basically you're taking away a lot of purpose and meaning for these kids. And what are you replacing it with? Like they can't even go to the gym anymore. Right. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's definitely been, um, you know, struggles from, from multiple different perspectives, even when you bring in some of the racial tension and, um, just different things that we saw during 2020 and athletes having to, to balance so much in their lives without their sport, which for a lot of athletes is their outlet. It's their way of coping. And, and you know, that, that's even how I started playing basketball as a way to kind of escape some of the things that I was personally going through in my life. And so having that ripped from you and, and kind of losing your identity when it comes to, um, you know, how m- many athletes tie, you know, what they do to who they are. And, you know, unfortunately that's the case, but um, when it's ripped from you abruptly and you don't really have a, a way to kind of cope or understanding of what to do next, it can be extremely difficult. And, and we saw that uh, from multiple different athletes last year. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, as, as Rob steps away here for a second, we'll, we'll keep on going. But I mean, you told us a little bit about why, why you've started um, athletes unheard and, and a little bit about that journey. And especially with this year, why it's been so impactful, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about, you know, who you are. You alluded to the fact that you played, you played sports and, and how has that kind of brought you to where you are now? Yeah. So I, I mean, I'm, I'm originally from Washington DC, born and raised and, and my mother put my brother and I in sports originally, um, just as a way to kind of keep us, uh, out of the streets and not doing things we shouldn't have been doing. And I think originally I, I played soccer, played football, wanted to play in the NFL. A lot of people don't know that, but football was my first like real love. And then I, I kind of fell in love with basketball because um, it was a sport that you could play by yourself. Like you didn't need any, anyone else, but a ball and a, and a basket and you could just kind of go out there and just kind of do your thing. And so, um, you know, being, you know, single parent household, having to move a lot, 
um, it was a lot of, you know, trauma that kind of came along with that in my childhood. And so I kind of used basketball, as I said before, as an escape and, and really just will go out and shoot to, to free my mind. And I started to really fall in love with the game when I got to high school. Um, I went to a highly prestigious um, Catholic school in D.C. called Gonzaga. And I got to compete against guys like Victor Oladipo, who's playing with the Miami Heat, Quinn Cook, who's playing with the Cavs, um, Jeremy Grant with the Pistons. Um, I went to school with, you know, my I think my sophomore year, we were top four in the country, had 12 Division One athletes. And so just being exposed to this high level of competition really kind of drove me and, and kind of fueled my desire to want to play at a higher level. Um, and so I had my mind set on becoming a pro, was fortunate enough to get a Division One scholarship to Niagara University, where I played for three years. Um, ultimately transferred my senior year, which is something you see not you, you don't see a lot of athletes doing. But, um, you know, I, I kind of took a leap of faith. I felt like I needed a fresh start and went out to a school called Cal State San Marcos in San Diego. Um, ended up having the best year I ever had playing basketball. And that, that afforded me an opportunity to go play overseas for a few years and kind of chase that dream of becoming a professional athlete. So um, I say all that to say, like my experiences as an athlete, some of the things that I wish I would have known or did differently kind of led me to a space where, um, you know, I've since retired and, and been in the athlete empowerment space and really just trying to help athletes um, take everything that they learn and, and leverage that in other areas of life and really trying to give them the tools and the resources that, like I said, I wish I would have had and uh, things I wish I would have known when I was playing. And so I'm um, just super passionate about, you know, giving back to the next generation of athletes and inspire them to reach their, their fullest potential in and out of sports. Yeah. And I like, I like that you also talk a little bit about how sports like gave you something to look towards and run towards kind of like a, a goal for sure. And, and you talk now about how part of what you're doing is trying to give athletes the resources that you didn't have or that you wish you had along that journey. What are some of the biggest resources that you are identifying now as some of the ones that you're like, I really want the athletes to have this moving forward? That's a great question. I think the biggest thing um, as we've moved towards a world that's much more digital and you know, just the importance of an athlete capitalizing on their notoriety and that title that they have next to their name while they're playing, I think is, is super important. And it's, it's mainly why I kind of started in the athlete branding and marketing space, because I started to notice, um, you know, how when you're an athlete, people want to, people want to be around you. They want to, they want to talk to you. They want to associate themselves with you because you're an athlete. Um, and I think when athletes can recognize that and they can, uh, you know, really take advantage of those relationships that they can create and build their network and kind of attract, um, the other opportunities that can really kind of set a path for them in life after sports, I think that's invaluable. So I think, you know, everything from networking to, um, understanding the importance of personal branding, um, and, and everything in between, I think is super important for, uh, athletes in today's world as we as technology continues to evolve and more options are on the table for younger athletes and so I think that's that's really the biggest thing and and looking back on my career um, I think the networking piece is ultra important it's something I wish I would have personally kind of taken more of a, a advantage of when I was playing mm-hmm 
Yeah, that was that's an interesting thing to to talk about, right? Because that is what happens when you're in the spotlight all the time. Is people naturally gravitate to you? And the interesting thing about that is everyone has their own agendas, right? Right. You start getting pulled in different directions, even by your peers. Um, and when I was still in school, I had a really unique opportunity. Um, to participate in these dinner things that our school put on where they'd bring in a guest speaker. And we were fortunate enough to have Myron Roll come in and talk to us about his story. And um, if you know anything about him, he was a former NFL player and he's now a child neurosurgeon. Road scholar, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Road scholar too. And his thing um, when he was talking to us about like social media and stuff was is whatever you're posting making you 1% better at something, 1% better at growing your network, 1% better at communicating whatever it is about you, you want people to know. Mm -hmm. And if it's not, you shouldn't be putting it out there. And that was like a huge light bulb for me as an athlete, thinking about some of the stuff that maybe I had posted in the past thinking, what was the purpose behind doing that? Was it to impress people? Was it to get likes or whatnot? And and it's interesting too, right? Because now we're seeing how much social media is impacting mental health as well. Yeah, 100%. I think a lot of what you're alluding to is intentionality. Um, mm. and, and I think it's so important when it comes to understanding that being an athlete is a short time period of your life. So every move that you make, whether that's on the playing field or off of it, has to be very thoughtful and intentional and um, has to be predicated on where you're trying to go and what you're trying to do with your career. So I think that's, uh, I, I haven't heard that one before, but I like that a lot. 1% better. Um, is it making you 1% better? Everything that you're posting, I think um, athletes are definitely more more tech savvy than than I was uh, when I was uh, playing as before social media was really uh, as popular as it is today. But I think athletes are, are getting it at younger ages because they're growing up with these tools at their fingertips. So. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, right? Like Gary Vaynerchuk talks about, he like he loves the New York Jets. And he talks about basically like he had this punter, a former punter from the New York Jets that reached out to him after the guy was retired. And he was like, I didn't pick up the phone with him. But when he would have been on the Jets, even if he wasn't playing, I would have definitely picked up the phone. And it's something that we forget, right? And it's like, when you're an athlete, you have access to like it's right. Your, your status is enhanced and and networking is so huge. Like basically what are they saying? Like 70% of jobs aren't even posted on like external sites. Like it's internal. I know a guy, I want to hire somebody bang. We already have him or her set up. And it's just like, doesn't even get posted externally. And that's the big thing. Right. And I think the other aspect is like Jonathan Jones is running this seven day start your podcast thing. And like Lauren and I, like I've been in the podcast game for about three years now. And I think one thing that's so huge about podcasting is it gives you an excuse to talk to anybody you want. You can reach out and say, Hey, I want to talk to you. And like Malcolm, we, we never would be here if, if you didn't have a show and I don't have a show and like, we would never make this connection. And I think like, these are things that people can execute. Like, Running a podcast literally takes like maybe a hundred dollars to buy a microphone and like you're basically good to go. 
Yeah, for sure. And sh- shout out to Jonathan, man. He's a good, he's a good dude. I love John. Um, but yeah, no, that that's that was the main reason why I started my podcast. My first podcast in 2018 was the relationship aspect. It, it it gives you a platform, and as you said, the barriers to entry are so low. It's like why not, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I met so many people. I did over a hundred episodes, and you know, a lot of the people that I had on my podcast, I'm still friends with to this day. And so I think. If you're trying to build your network, trying to build more relationships in whatever industry that you're trying to get into, a podcast is definitely the way to go. And and just to kind of continue on this this idea of like networking and and social media, um, the the other interesting part of it is is that people can make a living off of a social media presence, which is something that you know, at least when I was younger, like we used to mock at the idea of like, oh, you can make money by posting things online. Yeah, nice try. But when you look at um, the actual stats behind it, the a company called Front Office Sports mm-hmm. put out a really interesting stat today. And it was like the top five most followed athletes on the elite eight teams in March Madness right now. And their potential earning power based off of their following the first person is Paige um, Beckers from UConn, and her potential earning power is over three hundred and eighty-two thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Just don't break NCAA rules. <laughs> 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 Be careful with that one. That's for sure. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but but it's insane though, right? So who? It's it's so important to understand how to work on social media, how to brand yourself as an athlete. And along with that comes a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. You have not only pressure to perform on the court or on the ice or on the field, you also have pressure to perform on social media, which is something we've never seen before. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's very real. I mean, the opportunities to make money online, you know, from an athlete standpoint, they're, they're there. And I think when the, when the floodgates are open with NIL, it's, it's going to be all about engagement and, and, you know, how you could, how you, how you, how you, what your relationship is with your audience, not so much about star power. And I think a lot of people are getting that mixed up when they're, when they're looking at uh, the opportunities that athletes have with NIL, like it's going to be the athletes who actually have a strong following and engagement with their social media profiles and kind of leverage that, that awareness, that attention for uh, monetization. It's not, it's not going to be about who the best player on, duke is you know it's no longer about that star power it's 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 about you know that that engagement on these on these platforms and i think it's it definitely comes with a lot of pressure um but i think the most important thing for any student athlete to understand is that you know this is just about providing more options it's not uh, a requirement or obligation you don't have to monetize you don't have to you know build a build a brand i i would advise it it's it's a smart thing to do but if you if you're if it's coming to a point where you're overwhelmed and you, from a, from a wellness standpoint, you don't feel like you can do it all, then by all means don't. I would advise athletes to put their health and their sport and them being a student above everything else. If you don't feel like you can build a business or be an influencer, and then I, I you know it, it's just I, w- I would advise against it from for athletes who feel like it's just too much for them to handle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting though to think about that because as, you know, elite level athletes, it's more and more and more 
if right. I get presented with something I can do, I want to do it and do it to the best of my ability. So learning how to say no and learning how to set those boundaries um, is something brand new for a lot of athletes. So like, let's dig Lauren. Like this is something that you like specifically coach people on. It's like, and, and like, obviously like building a brand, I mean, I te- definitely recommend everyone listening should start building a brand. Now, depending on what that brand is going to be, is going to depend on what your goals are. But like for people out there, like if they're trying to make that decision on, should I go out there and start a podcast or start putting out social media or pictures or Instagram, whatever, like where where like how do you recommend they draw the line or not draw the line like how do they make that decision yeah i think the majority of it ha- it has to start with a conversation of what is sustainable for you that's the most important piece um and if if doing that falls within that sustainable amount of things that you can do then do it um and how do you make sure that it's sustainable does it meet a value for you does it actually accomplish something that feels productive to you and makes you feel good about doing it because that's going to make you want to continue to do it. But it's, I mean, it's like Malcolm said, like, yes, absolutely. It would be great to have a brand, but at the same time, especially when you're a college athlete, you are there for school and for your sport. And if that is not something that you think either a is important to you at the moment doesn't meet the value or you don't think you have the the bandwidth to make it sustainable then that's the honest conversation that has to happen and that's okay not everybody has to build a huge brand for themselves in college um, as an athlete and then have everything figured out by the time they're out of college it's just not how it works it's all about figuring out what you can accomplish sustainably and what is actually going to make you feel better about the work that you're doing every day. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's a lot about practicality. Like don't come out and say, you're going to, you know, do a podcast once a week. If you don't feel like you're, you can, can keep that up for, you know, an extended period of time, because I think ultimately that's going to damage your brand more than, than help it. So I think it's being pragmatic and understanding what's realistic for your, your schedule, um, and prioritizing, like I said, your, your, your schoolwork and your sport above anything else and everything else, you know, can come in time, but don't try to overwhelm yourself with, or set unrealistic expectations on, you know, building this huge brand or trying to make a certain amount of money, uh, just because you can. Um, and so I think that's the most important thing and, and what student athletes are going to have to decipher once NIL is, is enacted. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's interesting to go off of too, right? The idea of like, you don't have to do something just because you can. Um, I'm wondering if you've had any of the athletes that you've talked with on Athletes Unheard um, kind of bring that up in passing, or maybe that was a major thing for them that getting into ish, like troubles because of, well, I took on too much at some point or was convinced that I needed to do this when in reality, it didn't work for me. I can't think of any specific uh, situations or athletes, um, but I, I definitely think that having that competitive mindset and athletes are naturally driven and want to succeed in everything they can. And I think we all have point have had periods in our lives where we tried to do so much 
um, just because we could or we felt like we should have. Uh, so I think that's that's common. And I think it's even more common in today's athlete where they have so many different things that are now coming out. Uh, you have NFTs, you have crypto, you have just so many different opportunities that are out there. Um, and you, you're feeling like maybe you, maybe you have a teammate that's doing something that looks cool and you think it's for you. Or you have a family member that's doing something and they're saying like, hey, like you should try this. And so there's all these different, all this noise that's pulling you and then you have that social media and you're comparing yourself to other athletes and your friends. So it's all these different factors that are playing a part in, in an athlete's psyche that I think can be very overwhelming and um, really distracting when it comes to figuring out who you are at the end of the day, what's right for you and what, what, what you're ultimately trying to accomplish. Uh, I think that that's key is, is self-awareness is so important in this regard. It's really understanding what, 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 what you're most passionate about, what you feel like you're meant to do in life. Um, and, and not letting outside noise distract you from that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can tell you, I had an experience with it as an athlete getting into college. My first semester went from being like a 4.0 high school student and uh, convinced myself that um, I was better than taking the, the normal 12 credits your first semester of college so that you could adjust to it. I looked at my academic advisor and in some... I think it was the competitiveness in me to say like, no, I can do more than that. I enrolled in 16 credits and I watched my GPA plummet a little bit. <laughs> and that was a really hard learning lesson for me to say, okay, well, what is the, the motivation behind this? Mm -hmm. Is it purely because I thought that I had to be better than some arbitrary number? Or is it actually because I felt capable of doing that? And the reality was, is I didn't clearly because I mean, it was my worst semester ever, mental health wise and grade wise. I was stressed all the time. I wasn't performing well on the ice, like all of that. Um, and I don't know. I just think it's, it's more common than we think. Well, it's because we all come from that mindset of never enough. Right. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing is like, you know, and it's something like, you know, Malcolm's talking about these new opportunities. And it's like, I mean, what is it? I work a full-time job. I consult for another company. I run two podcasts. And then I still do like a bunch of other stuff. Like, and I'm in therapy and I'm trying to do all this other stuff. And it's like, it still doesn't feel like enough. And like, there's something there where, and I think that's the like psychosis that we have as athletes and perfectionists is like, like, what's another rep? Like what's another something else? It's like, we can do it. Cause that's what we've done our whole lives. Yeah, no, absolutely. I definitely think FOMO uh, plays a part in that as well. You know, you don't want to miss out on the, on the next you know, thing that could be, uh, you know, a huge opportunity for you. So we try to put all these different things on our plate, not realizing that, you know, when you have so much on there and one area suffers, it, it ultimately affects other areas of your life. And so it's, it's really figuring out how to, how to prioritize and how to balance um, the things that, that really are mo most important to you at the end of the day. And so I, I think to me, it all, it all goes back to self-awareness. It's very hard for, for a student athlete to have that at that age also. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a, yeah, that's a crazy question to ask at like right. 19, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. The FOMO is so real at that age, but yeah. 
I do, I do really enjoy like this idea of uh, talking to athletes about staying in their lane. Right. And that is about understanding what is important to you and what do you value in life? Because that's going to tell you the things that you actually want to start running after instead of just looking at your peers doing certain things and saying, well, maybe I should do that because they're doing that. Um, and the other, the other thing that's really interesting about the ability to stay in your own lane, it applies within sport too. We think about, you know, whether it's, it's training or practice, we see our peers going to get in that extra thing in the gym. We're like, well, should I be doing that? I feel pretty tired right now, but if they're doing it, maybe I should be doing it or working on something else. And, oh, well, maybe I should be doing that as well. Instead of sticking to what we know is our bread and butter and sticking to our own self-awareness on how we're doing. Um, And if there's one thing that I can say that athletes nowadays need to work on is understanding what their lane looks like. Like what is that core set of values that should be guiding you down the road? And how do you know once you're, you've gotten out of it? So changing lanes a little bit, Malcolm, like, what do you think we need to do to open up the conversation about mental health in the athletic space? I think, I think it's very simple. I think we need to, um, have more outlets, more safe spaces to where athletes can feel comfortable talking about it. Um, I, I think that, that, you know, what I'm trying to do is, is really, you know, create a place where storytelling around mental health and wellness is, is okay. It's okay to talk about your struggles. It's okay to not be okay. Um, and, and really building a community around that. But I think we need to do that within these universities. Um, and, and, and even more so educate coaches, administrators, people who are around athletes and support athletes about mental health and wellness um, so that, you know, when they're having these conversations, they know how to, they know how to address them. They know how to, um, you know, interact with these student athletes when they are going through certain things and it can steer them in the right direction. So come down to just creating more safe spaces, in my opinion, and really just getting back to the education piece. Yeah, I love that. And, and it's, it's to me, you know, it's, there's a lot there, but it's like, it's more than just like mental health first aid training. And it's, it's a lot of what we talked about, I guess, a few weeks ago with Mark Butler is this aspect of like building trust, building psychological safety. And then as coaches or professors or academic advisors or like these types of people, it's not about like being able to cure depression or being able to cure PTSD, right? It's, it's more just about having and being there for people mm-hmm. and, and being able to recommend resources for people like therapists or, or therapies right. and, and that kind of stuff. And I think that's something that's extremely hard is, and I had literally this conversation this morning with a guy who his son suffers from bipolar and he was like trying to, he's a, he's like a maintenance guy and he's worked in heavy industry for like his whole career. And basically what he was saying is like, I feel bad that I can't fix this for my son. And I said like, well, like, this is the first thing is like, you don't fix anything. Just be there for him and be, make him feel like he's supported because that's going to help him more than you trying to be like, Hey, like, did you think that like, 
uh, what is it? It's not going to last forever or you'll feel better tomorrow. Like all that kind of stuff. It's like, like to me, it, it's really just about support and, and like having trust and being there. It's, it's, and less about like having a solution. And I think it's interesting too, especially when we start to talk about within the college environment for student athletes, what does that look like? What does showing that amount of support for the mental health side of things look like? And I was just wondering if, if maybe it looks like investing in mental health support as much as we invest and monitor physical support. Um, I mean, when I was an athlete, we were being monitored every practice in terms of our perceived rate of exertion, what our heart rate looked like, all that stuff. We were getting monitored in the gym. How are your numbers progressing? All that kind of stuff. And then two or three times a season, we do like full body scans to see like what your body comp looks like, your range of motion, all that stuff. But never not once did we do anything surrounding mental health. We had one meeting at the beginning of the season where um, we were introduced to our like student athlete sports psychologist, given her name and she said, hi, and you know, I'm over here if you ever need me. But that was about it. So I wonder what it looks like for those institutions moving forward to make it a more daily presence where athletes, just as they get their heart rate data from practice, what does it look like to get your mental health data? What does it look like to see that stuff and to know that it's right in front of you and that the university is investing in it every day? Right. And I, I think it's so ironic that, you know, people say that 90% of sports is mental and the other 10 is physical, but we invest all of our time in the physical aspect of it. Um, and and I, I look look back on my college experience, like I don't even remember hearing the term mental health at all. Like we didn't have a sports psychologist. I didn't even know that was. Mm-hmm. So I, I think we're moving towards a world where universities are starting to understand and it's still very taboo i think but they're taking it more seriously and i think that was kind of the silver lining and what we just recently went through with 2020 is they're noticing how many of their student athletes are struggling and they're seeing that they have to invest as much as they do you know as you're saying on the physical aspect of sports and um, nutrition and, and, you know, making sure these athletes bodies are right. But if their mind is not right, then nothing else is going to work. And mm-hmm. so, um, I, I think there, I'm hoping, um, that, that universities in the near future will put more, uh, funding and resources when it comes to mental health and making sure that they're meeting these athletes where they are. They're not just saying like, here's our sports psychologist they're there if you need them. They're actively, proactively coming to their athletes, ensuring that their, their mental well-being is, is, is on point and that they're doing okay on a daily basis. They're making sure their family and their personal situations are where they should be. Or if they need help, they're, they're proactively trying to figure out different ways that they can provide that support. Um, that's what I'm hoping. And, and I think we're moving towards that. Because mm-hmm. like, you're right. It, that saying that you have access to it is one thing, but the biggest barrier is actually having the people walk in the door and take that, take that help up. 
right? And, and I think I've given this stat before on the show, but there's an article out there from Australia um, about men who work in construction. And Australia has a ridiculous, uh, they have a suicide every other day from someone who works in construction. And they did a, they did a study on 100 men who committed suicide who worked in construction because they were trying to figure out like, what's the gap? Like the programs, are the programs the problem? Like what's going on? And basically only seven of those men asked for help before they killed themselves. And so basically 93% of the hundred, like 93 of a hundred, it didn't. And that's where that trust and that psychological safety really needs to play in is you have to be able to overcome this reticence and this, to be honest, like, the fear of being vulnerable because like it's incredibly hard and incredibly courageous to walk into someone's door and say, Hey, I need help. Right. Yeah. And, and the data actually supports that with athletes too right now. So some new studies that they've done like post the initial parts of the pandemic. So like into now and um, a couple months back, uh, they were saying that three quarters of the college population were experiencing levels of anxiety and distress to the moderate to severe level. And then within that three quarters, so you're taking 80% of a team, basically 75% of a team, only 10% of student athletes ever reach out if they're struggling. And I, I wouldn't doubt if that's lower in a lot of cases than 10%. So right now, especially we have a population of individuals who is really, really struggling. The data shows it that they're struggling. Their experience shows it. And it's also a population that is very unlikely to reach out for help. So what do we have to do to help that? We have to give them the resources and show them our support in terms of, you know, all right, it's okay to say that it's fine. It's not going to affect how, you know, your coach sees you. It's not going to affect how your peers see you. These are the resources. We want you to use them proactively and reactively, but the resources have to be there. <laughs> like it needs to be a culture that you set as a leader. Right. And, and like Malcolm is setting that culture in the athletic community, but it's also like it, it comes down to coaches and then it even comes down to athletes themselves. Like, you know, I talk about leadership all the time and like leadership starts with each and every one of us and we can plow our own snow plow of vulnerability into a locker room. Like I did it with you, Lauren. Right. And it's like, this is what you can do. And you can show up and have these conversations and talk about depression and sit in a locker room and say, Hey, I'm not doing well. And you will plow space for other people to do it behind you. That's just like what we have to do as leaders. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think there's also, um, I think there needs to be more options as far as how athletes are able to get help. I, I see a major disconnect with, um, even from, you know, the people that some of these universities have on staff, you know, an athlete might not necessarily feel comfortable talking to someone who they feel like they can't relate to yeah. in certain, certain regards. I, I, I look at, you know, when I played at Niagara, you know, a lot of my teammates were from impoverished areas in Philadelphia. And so 
I don't know how comfortable they would be talking to an older white male who can't really, you know, understand where they're coming from or what they might be experiencing. So I think there may be a gender disconnect or um, age gap or, or a race gap or, or something that where, you know, even though these schools have these resources, athletes aren't, aren't going to go to these people because they, they, there's, 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 there's a level of uh, just disconnect when they, you know, from a, from a relatability standpoint and, and where an athlete might be coming from. So I think just providing more options and more ways that athletes can get the support that they need, that they feel comfortable talking to um, the person that they feel comfortable talking to, not just because you have this person on staff, you know, an athlete, this is the only option that they have. Um, so I think that needs to be addressed as well when it comes to uh, just the type of support that we're giving athletes, um, you know, in, in, a, in these athletic departments. I love it. Yeah. And it's something, you know, like I was actually having this conversation with Ellis who was on this show before and he was talking like he's an Asian male and he's in social work now. And he says like, basically like majority of therapists are like white women or white men. And it's, and, and like we had uh, Benita Chapman on to talk about that as well. And it's like, you need to have a diverse population of therapists because I mean, for me, I was actually looking for a woman. And the reason I looked for a woman versus a man is like, I felt more comfortable talking about my emotions with a woman than a man. Mm -hmm. Right. And like, that's probably, well, that's because my mom. Right. But, but I mean, it's like, it's going to vary based on each person. And you're right. Absolutely. hundred percent is like, I had a therapist that was a man before and he, I didn't relate to him at all. And it was a disaster to put it lightly. So it's, it's, yeah, it's incredibly hard. And it's also like, you know, what we talk about on the show too, is like the therapist aspect. It's not going to, sometimes it won't be the first one and you have to keep asking. And I think that's the other piece to it as well is like, see what you got. And then just like, if it doesn't work for you, you got to just keep pursuing other avenues. A hundred percent. So Malcolm, like maybe wrapping up here a little bit, like, what do you, like, you mentioned a little bit about values and a little bit about like kind of where you're going with this. Like, do you want to talk a little bit about like, what's your why? And like, where does this all come from? It's a great question. Um, I think for me, you know, personally growing up, um, being a, a black athlete growing up in the inner city, you know, mental health, as I said before, was something that was not talked about at all. And I realized that certain things that I went through as a child uh, were very traumatic. And I didn't really understand that until I got older. Um, and those those feelings, those emotions that I pushed down for so many years manifested itself in so many different ways and even were exasperated. Um, you know, during 2020, I started to experience very severe panic attacks. I had like three in a span of like two weeks. And I had had them before um, and didn't really know they were panic attacks. But I knew, you know, it, it was it was obviously a very uncomfortable feeling, but I didn't deal with it at the time. And so I just got to a point where I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like I needed to do something. And I just started to do a lot of research and, and I didn't really find anything. I, I found information, but nothing really that kind of encapsulated my experience as an athlete. Some of the, the mindset that I had growing up and how we're taught as athletes to really 
you know, man up, don't show emotions. You can't show your feelings. Like that was all I knew. And I didn't really find anything to kind of help me through that. And so knowing that there were so many other athletes out here who are experiencing depression and anxiety and all these different, um, you know, struggles when it comes to the mental health, that that's my why is, is it was partially, partially me scratching my own itch, trying to solve my own problem, but also trying to figure out a way that we can really make a difference for all these other athletes who are going through the same things and, and really challenge this, this narrative head on because this, this stigmatism is still surrounding uh, mental health in the athlete community in the world. Um, but I, 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 I truly see a world where um, in the next several years we're, we're coming out of that and we're really going to, going to kind of revamp this narrative around how we talk about mental health and what mental health actually is um, because we all have it, but it's all about the language we use around it and some of these terminologies that I think a lot of people don't understand. So to me, that's what it really comes down to trying to impact athletes globally. And I think athletes unheard is, is, um, going to be huge when it comes to, to really making a, a, a huge difference in the athlete community when it comes to mental health. Mm-hmm. I think you're already well on the way to doing that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I I love that, and and it's so funny, right? It's that's kind of where we started this show. Actually, was about emotions not being safe and and stuffing it all down and, and just kind of plowing through. And I think it's something that both Lauren and I have experienced, and, and it's something that really, like I, to be honest, like I still struggle with emotions on a daily mm-hmm. basis, being good or bad. <laughs> um, but it, that's part of the war. And, and no, I just, I mean, Malcolm, I really appreciate you joining us. And if anyone out there, like they want to connect with you, they want to find athletes on her, where can they find you? Um, so our website is athletesunheard.com. Uh, we're on every social media platform at athletes unheard. And I'm, I'm accessible on every social media platform as well at, um, at Malcolm Lemon. So. Awesome. I love that. And, and yeah, definitely check out athletesonherd.com and check out the podcast too. Uh, you've had a few episodes I've seen and, and heard a little bit from, so definitely check those out. And, and for us, I mean, obviously, first off, thanks for listening. Check out highperformancenarrative.com. Subscribe to Dismantling the High Performance Narrative on your favorite podcast platform. And we would love if you left us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you have any questions about mindset, performance, or mental health, drop those questions into your review. And Lauren and I will answer those on an upcoming Q&A episode. Lauren, do you have anything you want to leave us with? I just, I think that a lot of this episode was a call to action. We're seeing a population of underserved people that really, really need these resources and this help. And if you identify as one of those people, know that there are those resources out there. The help is there. You might just have to search for it a little bit and know that once you find it, the, the return on investment on the other side is huge the ability to get through this stuff is possible. The ability to see things from a different perspective is possible. You just have to be able to take that first step. And, and like you said, it starts with self-awareness. Like ask yourself if something feels off. Um, and if it does, take that first step and start doing the research to find yourself the resources if they're not being currently given to you. 
just because they're not being currently given to you doesn't mean they don't exist. I love that. And for me, I'll just leave people. I I, I like Lauren, you saying call to action. Mm-hmm. And so what I want to, what I want to challenge people to do is kind of what I tar- talked about already. It's you can be a leader and you can catalyze and create your own environment where it's safe to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And you can go into whatever locker room you're in, whatever, if it's in your house, if it's with your kids, with your wife, your husband at work, in the locker room, physically, in the gym, it doesn't matter. You can step up as a leader. You can put yourself out there. And yes, first time I put myself out there, I had a panic attack too. Um, But it does get easier. It does get better. And not only that is you can create an environment where you can support each other. And that's really one of the biggest impacts for help is, is deep relationships with other people. So that's my challenge for you. Get out there, be vulnerable. Malcolm, I really appreciate you joining us today. I really enjoyed this one. And I know, you know, we we scratched the surface in like an hour. So we're gonna have to have you back on the show later. <laughs> I appreciate the opportunity, Rob and Lauren. This has been great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you all next week.